Hey everybody, it's then again with the Northeast Georgia History Center. I'm Glenn Kyle, the director here at the museum, and today I have a, a very special virtual guest, Dr. Ben Wynn from the University of North Georgia. How are you doing, sir? Fine, Glenn. I appreciate you inviting me on your program. Well, we are excited. I know uh, you're one of the student favorites and you always teach some incredibly interesting classes that, that one doesn't usually think of as a as a college history course. And one of the things that you've done recently is done a lot of research on the blues and you even led a, a pretty long class trip on that, didn't you? Uh, we do. Every year we uh, have a, a class on the history of the blues and every year we take uh, about a five day field trip uh, to the Mississippi Delta and then to Memphis uh, on kind of a loop. It's, it's part of the course and the students really seem to enjoy it. Let's start at the very beginning. How were you able to convince the powers that be that that was a good idea? It was very easy once I got all of my paperwork in order. <laughs> if you get all of your paperwork in order, uh, you get further than uh, if, you, if you don't. So uh, I pitched it and uh, was able to convince first my department head and then my dean. It was actually a, a pretty uh, easy uh, pitch because the blues are really important from a cultural perspective, not just for the South, but for the United States. And even some of these old blues guys, I mean, they have international followings. So it's a very relevant topic with regard to American culture. And you hit on an important point, how important the blues are to American culture and history. So give us the two minute summary of why that is and, and to reflect that, how you planned the trip out and the places you went. Well, the, the two minute uh, summary, Basically, uh, blues music, and it's infinitely more complicated than what I'm about to tell you. But sure, basically, uh, blues it always is. <laughs> exactly, isn't everything. The blues music, of course, is the foundation for a lot of popular music that people listen to today. And it came out of the African-American community, but the white community began to listen to it also, uh, beginning really in the 1950s when it, form the foundation for rock and roll. And I mean, without this blues music, you would have no rock and roll music. You would have had no Elvis Presley. You would have had, people would probably still be listening to, how much is that doggy in the window? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So the, the blues really added some, some pizzazz and some depth to American uh, popular music. And it's also, you know, it's a, an unusual story, an interesting story, because, you know, that blues came out of the South, and for so long you had rigid segregation in the South, where whites and African Americans were not supposed to share any spaces, they weren't supposed to share any of their culture, they were supposed to be completely separated, yet the music ended up transcending all of that, and it helped break down at least some of those racial barriers, you know, in, in many ways. But uh, yeah, very important from that aspect as well. There's a civil rights angle to all of that. In fact, when we're on our tour of the Mississippi Delta, uh, in addition to visiting sites related to blues music, uh, we also visit a few civil rights sites uh, as well, because it's all tied in together. And that's the, that's the beauty. If you've got the, the go-ahead from the powers that be, and you've got a great class and a great trip lined up, you can create an experience that is far beyond what the students are used to in a classroom and is probably gonna have more of an effect on them. I've, I know a couple of students who took this class 
and it seems like they bring it up about every week when we're talking, well, I saw this and I saw that, and that ties into that. So it's a it's a fantastic thing. So walk us through the syllabus, if you will, of the trip. Well, the, the university, uh, first and foremost, has been extremely supportive, and uh, that does help the process, obviously. Uh, if you got a supportive administration, you're going to have a good program. And what we do, and it differs a little bit, sometimes we teach the course in the um, springtime and the field trip is taken during spring break uh, and also in the past we've taught it uh, during the summer and so the the field trip is taken during the summertime uh, but you get the same content basically we're in the classroom for uh, much of the time it's the standard you know kind of traditional classroom setting where we talk about uh, where the blues came from uh, why it's important. We talk about a lot of the individual blues artists that were very, had a lot of influence on uh, what came after them. And some of these blues artists are very obscure, uh, but they had this great impact on popular music uh, because others sort of took what they did and, and, and took a little bit further. But we, and we listened to a lot of the old recordings, especially from like the 20s and the 30s. Robert Johnson and uh, Sun House and people like that. And then the stuff from the, the 40s and the 50s, the Muddy Waters and Howling Wolf and people like that. And then uh, even later on, we'll listen to uh, some of the cover versions that, you know, during the 60s and 70s, people like the Rolling Stones and Eric Clapton, they covered some of these ancient, what were really ancient blues songs that were first recorded in the 20s and 30s. Anyway, we go over all of that because by the when we take the field trip, I want to make sure that the students know what they're looking at and uh, appreciate the enormity of some of the, the sites that we're going to see because they're, they're very important. So we lay a foundation there and then we take the uh, trip and then the students will take a, they'll keep a journal during the trip. I have them uh, do some little, before we go, some little short papers on some of the sites that we're going to to go and see. They make their own little presentations about some of those sites uh, in class. Every now and then we have people that sign up and they're looking forward to taking the field trip and uh, they're just a little bit surprised that, oh my goodness, we got to do all this classroom work too. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, we, we do both and it all usually works out. In fact, it always works out. I've never had anybody come back from one of those trips saying, Gee whiz, that was a terrible trip. I've had this completely positive uh, response. Oh, I would say, of course, because you're going to see, as you say, some incredibly important American history. And, and who doesn't love a field trip? You know, and, and the older we get, the, the older I get anyway, the more I like the history field trips. Maybe we're just nerds, but I get almost sentimental when it's time to, to go on one. It's so, wonderful to get the students out of the classroom and on the trail there. They enjoy it uh, as well. Because, you know, as riveting and inspiring as my lectures always are, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, sometimes they, they like to be do things outside of the uh, classroom. Really, like I said, it, it could have worked out better uh, so far. We've been taking this trip, I don't know, six, seven, six or seven times, different groups and uh, every, every year and uh, always have a good experience. Well, do you always go to the same places or are there, are there opportunities or, or problems where you kind of have to modify your, your route a little bit? There are certain places that we go to every year. And then I build in enough uh, extra time so that we can take side trips if time uh, permits. So sometimes we'll see a little something extra. 
it just it all depends because uh, we visit a lot of places and depending on where we are, some people want to spend more time at this place or that place. And basically I build in about you know, a good many places that we have to see. Uh, I put that on the itinerary and then we take as many side trips as possible in the course of uh, traveling. I have to imagine that somewhere on the trip, there's at least a couple of opportunities to hear some authentic live music. Is that right? There is. The music, in every museum that we see, the music is always blaring out of the, the speakers. So you're exposed there. The main place where you can hear the live music on the last day that we are there, or the last day of the trip, we usually spend that day in Memphis. And we let the students out on uh, Beale Street for a night on Beale Street in Memphis. Beale Street was the traditional the traditional African-American entertainment district. It was turned into now it's kind of a tourist destination. But uh, they got a lot of uh, nightclubs that specialize in blues that are on that street in Memphis. And uh, we let the students go there. We let them go for a night uh, there on uh, Beale Street. That's the main place where they get to hear the live music. And, you know, you've obviously become a, this is an area of your expertise, as they say, and and folks don't get areas of historic expertise unless they have a real passion for the subject. So what's what's one or two of the the absolute top favorite places that, for you personally, when y'all go on the trip? I can't narrow it down to one or two. Ah, see, I knew it. (laughs) But there is a... uh, there's a place called Dockery Plantation, which is a place where a lot of early blues players, they did agricultural labor during the day, and then they played music at night. And uh, they came off of, they end up, you know, they play music because they want to get away from doing the agricultural labor. So a lot of the uh, early blues players, there's a good many of them that worked on that plantation and lived on that plantation. And some people call it the cradle of the blues because you had people working on that plantation, like Charlie Patton, like Sunhouse, like uh, Howlin' Wolf, Roebuck Staples, Pop Staples, who was the, the patriarch of the Staples family, uh, as in Mavis Staples, uh, he came off of that place. Uh, and that's a place that everybody uh, needs to, to see. Uh, if you do a Google search, a Google image search, and you type in Dockery Farms or Dockery Plantation, you'll see literally thousands of photographs pop up. People from all over the world check in to look at that place uh, and to, to see that place. And we've been there before when there are people there checking in from France, and Belgium, and you know just any place you would ever uh, imagine people come to visit this site. And it's out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you have to really want to be going to. Right. And then some of the, the best places are, you have to want to go there. Exactly. And then there's the Delta Blues Museum which has been around for about, oh, probably more than 30 years. Very, very good place to go if you're interested in that kind of music. And then in Indianola, Mississippi, the B.B. King Museum is a very good museum to go and see. B.B. King was from Indianola, Mississippi, and it's a very good interactive museum. B.B. King had a lot of wealthy friends at the end that were really willing to donate to his museum. So it's it's got a lot of bells and, and whistles on it. It's a good place to go. And then you could go places, uh, again, like Robert Johnson's grave. Robert Johnson is the famous, he's famous blues player, has been covered by many, many artists over the last, since his death. Uh, Robert Johnson is, there's a famous story associated with him 
Uh, he's the guy that supposedly went down to the crossroads at midnight and uh, made a deal with the devil, oh. sold his soul for uh, musical abilities, musical prowess. And he's the, that legend is always associated with him. And uh, we go by his grave. And if you go by his grave, which again is out in the middle of nowhere, you'll always find people leave guitar picks, they leave coins, they leave empty whiskey bottles because he was quite a drinker. And uh, they leave all kinds of things on the, on the grave in tribute to him. And again, people from all over the world come to pay homage to him at his grave site there. And it's kind of an amazing phenomenon, really. And then, you know, when we go to Memphis, we go to uh, uh, the Stax recording studio there where a lot of rhythm and blues artists made records. Otis Redding would be uh, one of the ones most people recognize, Sam and Dave. Uh, then we do go to Graceland and we do the Elvis Presley thing there because uh, Elvis Presley rock and roll was based out of uh, blues and rhythm and blues. And, and so we, we do go see uh, Graceland and, you know, that's a whole nother level of tourism there. Oh, yeah. But, and then we also some civil, I mean, I could go on and on. We also visit some civil rights uh, sites while we're going through the Delta because there are so many of them there. We go by Bryant Grocery, which is uh, associated with Emmett Till. That's the, that's the store. It's the ruins of the store where he supposedly made some remarks to a woman uh, in the store and uh, the woman's husband didn't like it. And uh, the husband and uh, another man killed Emmett Till. Uh, and that, you know, that store is there and there's a historical marker there. And then we go to, in Memphis, we go the, we end up the trip in Memphis. We go to the uh, Lorraine Motel where Martin Luther King was assassinated. And that's always kind of a, it's a very moving uh, kind of uh, place to go. And a lot of the students are really interested in seeing that. That, see, that's fascinating. That's one of the reasons I, I love this thing that you've created because I mean, I work in museums, so of course I'm going to say this, but I've always thought that getting people out to the place can deliver that sense of place and that, that visceral connection to the individual that helps them understand the actual people from the past. And, and it's just, it's so fascinating to, to do that. You can't, you can't do that with the pages of a book. You've got to be in those places and, and, and see the environments that, that affected these people's lives. That's exactly uh, correct. And I mean, part of the tour is just looking at the landscape, uh, the Mississippi Delta, row after row after row of cotton fields. When we go in the summertime, it's 100 degrees out there. You get out of the car and you can kind of imagine these agricultural laborers who had to toil in this unbearable heat in these cotton fields in the Mississippi Delta all day and then play music at, at night to try to get out of, you know, to get out of that situation. And again, I, I get the students, uh, when we're preparing to go, I show a lot of videos and the Mississippi Delta, I mean, it's very flat. And again, it's literally in many places, row after row of cotton fields. And that's what they, when we're driving around, that's what they all talk about is, boy, those videos didn't do this justice. They did row after row of cotton fields. Very flat, very unusual vibe, uh, for the lack of a better uh, word. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and here's, here's another question that reduces an incredibly complex thing down into a, a you know, a, a smaller piece. What are, you, what are you really hoping the students who go on this trip 
take away with them? Well, what what I tried to get across, basically, I wanted to know how important this blues music has been to the development of American culture. Because blues music, I mean, if you look at most forms of popular music, blues is one of the foundational elements of it uh, in the United States. And I also wanted to get an appreciation of the uh, oppressive climate and the racial situation that was in place during the 1920s and 1930s. Robert Johnson, who again recorded in the 1920s and is a major blues figure, okay, he wrote a song and recorded it as a popular song that most people know now, or many people do, called Sweet Home Chicago. And I, I play the song in uh, class, and they listen to the song, and the song, the Robert Johnson song, it's, again, the audio is very scratchy. It was recorded in the 20s. The technology wasn't that great. And then after that, I play a video that was taken in the White House when Obama was president and they had some kind of gathering related to arts and letters there in the, the White House and there were performances by blues musicians and at one point toward the end they actually got Obama to sing a little bit of that song Sweet Home Chicago with him being from Illinois. You know just about 15 seconds of it. He sings the chorus. Okay it's not a big deal but then what I emphasize is had you told Robert Johnson in 1929, hey, that song you wrote, one day that song you wrote that you play in these juke joints out in the middle of nowhere uh, in the Mississippi Delta, one day, guess who's going to be singing that song? The President of the United States in the White House. You know what he would have thought? He would have thought you were out of your mind. <laughs> and then he would have especially thought you were crazy when you told him, oh, yeah, by the way, the President, he's black. Okay, he could have not fathomed that. He would have not been able to wrap his mind around that because of the, the circumstances under which he and the African-American community in the Delta live every day. But I always try to make that point of how far this music's reach is. Uh, this guy was plugging a guitar in the 1920s out in the middle of nowhere and in a segregated society. And here, 80 or 90 years later, his song is being sung in the White House by an African-American president. That is quite a journey for that song, Sweet Home Chicago. And so I tr that's sort of a microcosm of the point I try to get across with, uh, get across to the students with regard to how important this music, this music is. Now, see, that's a fantastic story. That is, that, that's a perfect summation too. I love, you know, when you can tie things together with one of those. Anecdotes are important if not overused, and that's a perfect anecdote and a perfect use of one. Sadly, though, that's probably all the time we're going to have for this particular podcast, but I want to thank Dr. Wynn for joining us today. This has been incredibly interesting. I think it's a, it's a tribute to you, your teaching skills, the rapport you have with your students, that you make something like this work, and I think it's a model that, that a lot of other professors should consider when they're, when they're talking about really substantive issues to take people on trips, to give them that sense of place and get them out of the classroom. Well, thanks, Glenn. That's nice of you to say that. That's what we're, that's what we're aiming at. And um, I'm happy that you asked me to do this. And we're all uh, very impressed with uh, what you're doing with the center over there. Well, thank you. Thank you. We will uh, we'll wrap it up there and we'll see y'all next time. Goodbye, everybody. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.